Well, friends, we are in the midst of a series on revival, and this week we have an opportunity to celebrate revival together during the week. From Wednesday through Friday, we are going to be gathering Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, and Friday evening to celebrate revival, to celebrate what God is doing in our midst, to to clear space and time in our calendars and in our lives, to be silent and to be responsive to whatever God would do with us, in us, and through us for the sake of God's kingdom. And I could not be more excited. Our staff is really excited. We've been praying about this for a long time, uh, and we can't wait to get to Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We invite you to come out for all of that, and I'll I'll tell you more about it as we go through uh, this morning. But this morning, we're going to continue our our sermon series, and the sermon series will extend throughout uh, the revival, not just this week, but in, in the next several weeks, We'll continue to preach and unpack that theme of revival. And what does it mean uh, to pray that God would revive our hearts so that we might worship God? Uh, from Psalm 85, uh, verse 8, or verse 6, rather. So this morning, I want to remind you of a definition of revival that I shared last week. Um, this comes from the book Longing for Revival by James Chung and Ryan Pfeiffer. And it's this. They define revival this way. It is a series of breakthroughs. A series of breakthroughs, not just a one-time event, a series of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power. In word, deed, and power. So we're going to expect all three of those things uh, this week as we gather and throughout. A series of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal. Ushers in a new normal, a, a new season of experience of God's life and power within us ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. So it bears fruit for God's kingdom. That's the revival that we long for. That's what we have in our hearts as we prepare to meet Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and beyond. A season of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. Would you join me in praying for that uh, this week? I know a number of you have been praying for that already and just invite you to continue uh, to pray for that as we prepare to gather this week. This past week, I was running. uh, One of the things that I love to do, one of the places where I do my best sermon prep work is when I go for a run. Uh, That gives me an opportunity to set aside time to hear from God the ways that God is moving in, in my life and in the life of our community and our church. And so I like to go running. I, I, um, I, I run from our house. There's a, there's a path that goes through the woods that's not too far from us. That it's kind of the woods that is in between the, the football field on Stadium Drive and the baseball diamond that's, that's out the other way. There's some woods behind there. Maybe some of you have, have walked those. I've, actually, I've seen some of you walking those woods before. Um, but that's where I like to go running because it's in the woods. It's beautiful. It's quiet. It's peaceful. Uh, and it's, and, it, and it's, it's just a great place to be. As I was running this week, I uh, came upon a play. It just, I don't know, something just kind of struck me. Hey, you should go over here. And I know there's, a, there's one particular spot on my run that I really look forward to every time I get there. There's, it's a spot where people have set up a campfire. And so people I know come and gather regularly and, and hang out there. It's a spot where there's a kind of a clearing in the woods, but you're still surrounded by the, the beautiful canopy and, and you can still hear the, all the animals and everything. And, and, and there's a campfire setting. And then there's also these places where the water, where, where streams come through and gather. And so there's, and as I, as I was running, I just felt, I don't know, I just felt God saying, hey, go, go, go to the campfire. And so I went over there, and not like audibly, but you know what I mean. I just sensed like, this is where I should go. And so I'm running, and, and, so, I, and so I make my way over to the campfire, and I, and I get there, 
And I'm, and I'm standing there and I'm just kind of quiet and, and listening. Okay, God, what do, you, what do you have for me? Partially um, because I was trying to be responsive to the Spirit. Partially because I was out of breath and uh, trying to, to just, just gather a moment um, to, to regain my breath. And so I waited and, and listened and just kind of took in the beauty of God's creation. And I looked down and I saw these three pathways that kind of came together. And, and it was a path where clearly uh, water came together. And, and two of the pathways actually had running water that came in into the one. And then they all kind of proceeded from there together on out in, in, a, in a little stream that, that wound its way through the river. And when I was there and when I was in this sort of space of prayer and, and listening to what God was saying, I was reminded of this definition of revival, that we long for a, a new a season of, of, of signs of God's, of, God's, uh, of God's word and deed and presence and power. Word and deed and power. And, and I was thinking about those things in the life and mission of our church and in my own life, how have I experienced God's kingdom through word and deed and, and power? And as I reflected on that, I, for me personally, uh, I feel like I have experienced God's presence a lot in, in word and deed. Uh, we meet and we read uh, from God's word as we're about to do. Uh, we hear what God has to say to us through scripture. We also are a church that is responsive to the needs around us in our community and, and throughout the world. And so we often respond in deeds to what we hear. Uh, so words and deeds. And I noticed that two of those streams had, had water flowing into that one stream. But I noticed one other thing that was interesting. One stream that came right down the middle, there was no water flowing in it. And as I reflected on that, I realized in my life, I don't know that I have actually personally experienced many signs of God's power outside of word and deed. And I just confess that as, a, as a, this, is, this has been my experience of God's presence. I've experienced God's presence uh, as I read scripture. I've experienced God's presence in prayer. I've experienced God's presence with one another as we've served together in different ways and capacities. Uh, as I've served as a, as a pastor in our community for almost 10 years now, uh, I've experienced God's presence through all of that. But the power part, I almost felt like God was saying, hey, where have you seen me work in your life or in the life of your congregation? In power. And what might that look like? And so as I sat there and, and, and saw these three streams coming together, I, I actually went down and put my hand in, in each of them and prayed for, for God's word to be manifest. Uh, as we read the word together, I prayed for, for, God, God's, for our understanding of God's experience in our lives through the ways that we, that we serve and, and work together indeed. And then I stood in the empty one that was, that was coming down in the middle and I just prayed that God would reveal something of God's power to us through this season of revival. And I invite you to join me in that prayer because I think we're really comfortable in those other two streams, aren't we? The word, oh yeah, let's get the Bible out. Let's read it. Let's, let's do that together. Uh, indeed, yes, absolutely. We know about needs in our community and we're, we're so good to respond to them and, and work in, that, in the ways that, 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 that show God's kingdom and God's love among us. But man, that power, that power one, that one's a little, I don't know what to think about that one, right? And yet when we read scripture, we see signs of God's power manifest throughout 
These last few weeks we've preached, we've had Pentecost. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit falling in flames and, and, and in speaking different languages and understanding each other and, and, and the Spirit of God dwelling in our hearts. Last week we looked at the Valley of Dry Bones and Ezekiel had this vision of, of God raising up these dry bones that they would live again by the power of God's Spirit. And this week we're going to look at another story from the Old Testament the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And it's another example of God answering prayer in power. So I invite you to hear this story. This is from uh, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, and I'll be reading from verses 16 through 39. Hear this word. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. I love this. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and, and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. 
He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a great story of God's power manifest right before people so that people would know, that God's people would know and remember that the Lord is God. That's what we're going to be looking at today, the power of God to answer prayer and show up in power so that we might know that the Lord is God. A little bit of background on this story. Elijah uh, was a prophet that lived about 300 years or so before the Babylonian exile. We've been talking about the exile lately. Uh, we're, we're, we find ourselves in the Old Testament when we remember as the people of God were, were sent away into exile and, and led into captivity uh, and eventually freed and sent back to rebuild Jerusalem and the city. Um, but this, this Elijah comes onto the scene about 300 or so years before then. Uh, although we believe that First Kings that we read from was probably written during the time of the exile, the beginning of the exile. We hear about Ahab, the king of Israel. He's, uh, he's the one that Elijah first meets in the beginning there, who says, oh, there you are, you troubler of Israel. Well, Ahab was the real troubler. Uh, he was the king of Israel at the time, and he had led the Israelites away from God. In fact, uh, Scripture says in 1 Kings 16 that he had done more evil than all the other kings of Israel before him. He had married Jezebel, who was a a woman who worshipped the Canaanite god of Baal. And she had brought Baal worship into the people of Israel and into the kingdom of Israel. And and Ahab was okay to to go along with that and promoted. He built temples to Baal. Uh, And so the people of God found themselves in a place where they were torn between worshipping God and worshipping Baal. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. And Elijah confronts them in verse 21 and, and, and says, says to them, how long, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And that word there for, for, for waver, how long will you waver? It's, it's translated limping in other translations. How, how long are you going to limp along trying to decide who you're going to follow, and who you're going to worship. 
How long will you limp along? And, and, and how long will you waver between two opinions? And the, the Hebrew word for opinions is a word that brings to mind uh, the idea of branches of a, of a tree that are uneven. And so it's kind of like you're, you're hobbled and you're unsteady. How long are you going to be limping along in this unsteady state of trying to decide who it is that you are going to worship? That's what Elijah is asking them. And so Elijah throws down this challenge, right? He says, we're going to settle this matter once and for all. He, see, he asks them, how long are you going to waver? And, and, and they, don't, they don't answer, right? Just silence. They're like, mm, I don't want to say anything. You, you say something. I'm not going to do it. Elijah says, fine. We'll let God settle it. I'll say something for you. God will speak, and we'll, we'll let that speak. We'll let that stand. And so Elijah says, I, I'm, I'm going to let you guys go first. It's unfair. I'm only one of 400. You guys have 450 prophets. I'm one. But I'm going to let you go first in verse 22. And in verse 24, he says, the God who answers by fire. We're going to build these altars. We won't light them. We'll call to God. Whoever, whichever God lights them, the God who answers will be God. So the people then, they say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. I don't have to answer. We're just going to sit back and watch the show. <laughs> and so they're excited to see what happens. Verse 26 says that they then, the, the, the prophets of Baal uh, get together and they, and they call, they call from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. There's no response. No one answered. And it says, and they danced around the altar that they had made. And the word danced there is the same Hebrew word for limping that we had read earlier. So they, they continued to kind of limp around. They continue to be unsteady about what is going on and why isn't their God answering them. They're unsteady and unsure about what's happening. They're waiting and crying out to God, but there's no answer. And then I love this. I love this section here. Verse 27, Elijah begins to taunt them. Shout louder. <laughs> Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. He needs to be woken up. All right, Vern, I'm going to do it. I, listen, there's one commentator. Vern and I were talking about this earlier this week. Vern and I uh, uh, love to study together and prepare together our messages. Uh, this translation where it says, perhaps, he, perhaps your God is deep in thought or busy. There's actually what it's really saying there in some of the manuscripts is, I, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. He'll be back, I'm sure. Just shout louder. <laughs> Vern and I talked about it. He's like, I don't know, the 12-year-old in me really wants to say that, but I don't know if I should. And, I don't know, you guys, it's in there. The Bible's rich and living and active and funny, and we should, we should, we should enjoy that. So Elijah's taunting them, saying, hey, where, where's your God? Talk a little bit louder. But there's no response. I don't know, there's something about me. I, maybe it's just the, the competitive side of me. I, I, I enjoy playing sports. I, I enjoy, I don't do it so much myself, but I enjoy good trash talking. And so I love hearing this from Elijah. Come on, where's your God? Talk louder, shout louder. Maybe he just didn't hear you. I love to watch documentaries uh, on sports and, and just listen to stories of athletes. And, and I, I saw one recently where Magic Johnson was talking about Larry Bird, uh, two all-time NBA legends that grew up through the 80s and, and were the face of the NBA, really, um, through the 1980s and into the 90s. And Magic said, Bird is the best trash talker in the league. He is the best trash talker in the league. And he told the story about how Larry Bird one time went up to, it's the end of the game, the Celtics were down by, by one or whatever. Uh, they were losing and, and Larry went up to the opposing team and he actually went into their huddle and he told them, hey, 
I'm gonna tell you right now what's gonna happen so y'all can be prepared, all right? They're gonna pass the ball into me. I'm gonna be down here on the baseline. I'm gonna run up. I'm gonna take a couple dribbles. I'm gonna run out to the elbow. I'm gonna take a shot right over the top of you. I'm gonna make it and I'm gonna win the game. There you go. And so what happens? Well, they inbound the ball to Larry Bird. He dribbles from the baseline down up to the elbow, takes a shot, and of course, it goes in and he wins the game and he runs back to the bench and says, I told you what I was gonna do. The thing that made Larry Bird such a great trash talker is because he could back it up, right? He could back up what he was saying, and he did. Uh, There's something really fun about that to me. And Elijah is the same way, right? Elijah taunts them and says, where's your God? Maybe shout a little bit louder. And they do to the point of where they actually begin cutting themselves because they believed that in their, in their culture, if they showed that they were willing to spill their own blood, that their God would be more willing to listen to their prayers. And so they do, they even go that far to cry out to their God. And yet, nothing, no answer. Midday had passed, it says, and and they cried in their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. So they're running out of time, right? I mean, Elijah's really kind of stacking the deck against God in this situation, isn't he? He's calling them out. He's he's taunting them. Uh, He's letting them go all day long waiting for a response until finally, at the end of the the day, uh, Elijah... (laughs) Elijah says, okay, it's our turn now. So verse 30, he said to the people, come over here. And he, and he had them repair the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come. I love that he took 12 stones to remind them of who they are in God. To remind them that they are God's people. And he even mentions the name Jacob and says, remember Jacob, the one who God called Israel? Do you remember that story when Jacob wrestles with God in the middle of the night? And at the end of it, God changes his name and says, no longer will you be called Jacob. Jacob was one who who grasps at things. He says, but now your name will be Israel. Israel means one who struggles with God. And so the prophet here, Elijah, is reminding them of who they are, reminding them of their story. Remember Jacob? Remember what happened to Jacob after he wrestled with God? He walked with a limp, didn't he? And we hear about the Baal worshippers limping and, and staggering around. We hear uh, about the, 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 the enticement to the, to the people of God to remember. <laughs> Don't be unsteady. Don't be limping around. Remember who you are and who God is. And so Elijah reminds them of that. The 12 stones, he put, take the 12 stones and set those up. Uh, he, he, he sets the altar up in the name of the Lord. He digs a trench around it. And he says, grab four jars of water and pour it over the top. So as if he hadn't done enough, right? Waited all day long, taunted them. Now he's pouring water on the sacrifice just to go above and beyond and prove that this is from the Lord God Almighty. So they pour the four jars and he says, do it again. And then do it one more time. That's 12 jars of water, right? To match the 12 stones. Again, just to remind them of who they are and who God is. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And so late in the day, verse 36, at the, at the time of the sacrifice, after all this other stuff had happened, prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, 
Isaac and Israel, right? Not Jacob, but Israel, the one who struggles with the Lord. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Look at how many times we hear the phrase answer in this scripture. In the beginning, Elijah asks them, hey, who are you going to serve? And there's no answer, right, from the people. They wait. They said nothing. Then Elijah lays out the challenge and says, the God who answers by fire will be God. The prophets of Baal came and, and they said, oh, Baal, answer us, but nothing. There was no response. They, they wait all day and plead and, and limp around and, and no answer, no response. Jacob says, answer me. Or Elijah says, answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. And then we see in verse 39. After the Lord God comes down and lights, he lights everything up, right? Not just the sacrifice on the altar, not just the bull, but the wood, the stones, the water around the trench is even lapped up and gone. That's the power of the living God that Elijah knew and was reminding them about. And when that happened, it says, verse 39, when the people saw all of this, they fell prostrate and cried to the Lord, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I love that. Those people who were unwavering and, 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 and unsteady on their feet and, and limping along and trying to decide between two different opinions, two different ways of how to live and be in the world and serve and, and worship God, trying to limp along and decide between this. All of a sudden now, they see God's power manifest through fire and through power and they can't even stand. They fall down on their knees and worship the Lord. And say, you, Yahweh, are the Lord. One of my favorite questions to ask as we read through Scripture together is, where do you see yourself in this story? And one of my favorite things to do to, to sort of answer that question, to, to figure out where we are in the story, is to read through the questions. I wonder if those questions resonate with you today. I wonder if you find yourself in a place of wavering, of wondering, who, whose opinion am I going to trust? Who am I going to serve? I, I wonder how many of us coming out of the pandemic are kind of just limping a little bit, right? Because the things that we used to think were steady and reliable have been shown not to be in this last year and a half. The pandemic has shown us that wherever we put our trust, we need to remember it needs to be in God because that's the only altar worth building, right? That's the only altar. Everything else is going to be unstable, unreliable, and it's going to cause us to waver and limp. 
And so I wonder how you find yourself in this story today. And if you're in need of a reminder of who God is in your life, I wonder if you find yourself where I was, standing at that stream and, and looking at, the, at the, dry, the dry one and wondering, God, would you just reveal something to me of your power? Because nothing else lasts. Nothing else is the same firm foundation of the Lord God Almighty and the altar that we worship him on. I, nothing else has the strength and the ability to bring new life, to, to blow life into dry bones and bring us to life, to, to reach into the grave and raise Christ from the dead. Nothing else has that kind of power to, to bring down fire from heaven that rests in our souls as we hear in the Pentecost story. That power is available to us. We don't need to shake and, and wonder and wander and try to decide where to place our allegiance, where to place our trust, where to place our hope. The Lord God Almighty is where we place that and where we find the fulfillment of all joy and hope and life. And so I wonder, as we read through this scripture, all the ways that people are, are, are answering or not answering. I wonder how we will answer the challenge this morning to respond to God's call on our lives, to respond to the call for revival this week. I'm so excited for us to get together and to, and to celebrate this. It was born out of, out of a spirit of, hey, let's get together. Let's be in the same place. Uh, it was born in a time when we couldn't do this. We couldn't gather in person together. And, 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 but yet we see that we're making progress in that direction, right? We're here. Uh, and those of you who aren't, we welcome you at any point when you feel welcome. Uh, word of warning, we are. Next week, we're going to be here uh, with the option for those of you who are fully, uh, fully vaccinated to not have masks on. So be prepared for that and be ready for that. It's going to be just another small step that we take in the direction of, of, of returning to a new normal uh, post-pandemic. But it's an invitation, again, to just, just, just be aware of the way that God is moving and present among us. And as we prepare for this revival, I, I, I want you to think about um, how is it that God is going to answer our prayers? How is it that God is going to meet us this week? Will it be through reading of the word as we open God's word together on, on Thursday and Friday nights? On Wednesday, we'll meet just for prayer and just to prepare our hearts for the space that we're about to enter the next three days. And we encourage you to come out to all three days of the revival. Uh, the first day, we're going to have prayer and praise at 6.30. Uh, the next night, we'll meet at 5.30. Bring your own dinner, uh, and we'll eat together and then worship together after that. And then the, on Friday night, we'll do the same. We'll have a catered dinner. I uh, invite you to come and, and be a part of that. And so I wonder how God's going to answer our prayers for revival, our cries to be in God's presence. I wonder if it's going to be through the word that we read together. I wonder if it's going to be indeed as we gather and pray together for one another. I wonder if it's going to be in power. I wonder if God might show up in power in ways that just blow our minds. And the thing is, we don't know, right? We can't control that. All we can do is prepare ourselves. All we can do is get ready. And that's what we are calling you to do uh, by praying Psalm 85, 6 and other scriptures, getting our hearts in a place. Revive us, Lord, so that we might worship you. 
I want to say one last thing about power. I, I, I confess, I have a confession to make this morning. Last week, I started um, by introducing revival, by reading from Mark chapter 16, and I, I just sensed that there was some among us who were like, so tell me about this revival thing. Like, what's this? Like, we're Methodists. We don't do that. Like, what is this business? And all, those of you who've come from the Baptist tradition are like, yes, it's about time. We're going to have revival. Been waiting for this. Um, you're all welcome too. But I, I introduced the revival last week by just trying to kind of set everybody at ease, I suppose, and just and say, hey, look, we are coming together to gather, to worship, to prepare our hearts, to meet with God. Uh, and I read from Mark chapter 16, uh, and, and it said this, and, and I, I revisited this scripture this week um, at the suggestion of a, of a dear friend. Mark chapter 16 says this, uh, verse 14. Later, Jesus appeared to the 11 uh, as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And I want to tell you, I went back as I was thinking about this uh, after this word from my friend about, hey, you know kind of what you did there. Uh, I want you to think, you should think a little more about what you said. I was using this scripture because it goes on to say, these will be the signs that accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. And I said that and I said, who's ready for revival? Um, Which is funny, right? But it also goes on to say, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And as I was talking with my friend and as I was praying through and thinking through the sermon last week and what I did to set up the revival, um, I wanted to say and, and confess that maybe I was the one, and this came to me particularly when I was standing at the river and I saw that empty riverbed of power. And I wondered if God wasn't rebuking me and saying, hey, you have no idea how I am going to show up. You have no idea how I will manifest myself in this revival and in, the, in all of the people who gather. So just tread lightly there, Jeff. <laughs> and I want to say that to you today as, as a word of encouragement. And, and I want to say this in particular. If you, I, I feel like God has been laying this on me for a long time. If you feel like you know somebody who is just in need of a, of a steadying force, somebody who's just kind of limping through life. Invite them to the revival. Invite them to come and see the living God in our midst. If that's you, we invite you to come to revival. Don't stay away because you're scared of what God might do. Come because you're scared of what God might do in your life. If you know someone who is in need of healing, or if you are in need of healing, I invite you to come because we are going to pray and we're going to lay hands on you. And we don't know how God's spirit is going to manifest in that place, but we can prepare our hearts and we can be ready for anything. We don't come for the signs and wonders, but we come expecting that God can do them and be present with us in whatever way the spirit chooses to move. And so that's the spirit of this revival. It's, it's just an opportunity to be together, to respond to the cries of our heart, to, to stop uh, wandering around, but to, to, to ground ourselves in God's spirit, to ground ourselves in God's activity in our midst, and to be open to whatever way God's power will be manifest in and through and around us for the sake of God's kingdom. And so it's in that spirit that I invite you to come this week to revival. It's in that spirit that I invite you to bring your friends or bring anybody or tell anybody you know there's flyers out there, grab one and pass them out um, and come.
to revival. Let's come and see what God is going to do in our midst. Let's pray expectantly this week with no limitations on what we think God can do. Because God is a God of fire and of power and of life and breath and spirit. And is anything too hard for the living God? No, but may you come and and realize this week that the Lord, Yahweh, is God. Amen.